0: Well, again, good morning, church. Encourage you to turn to the Book of Acts as we begin our our new study this morning in the Book of Acts. As you do so, uh, you know, I mentioned that our plan is to continue to meet outdoors beginning in July. Also, we're going to start meeting, maybe you saw this already, but meet a half hour earlier, so beginning at 9 in July. So I think that's two Sundays from now, so not next Sunday. We'll meet at 9.30 again. But starting July, we'll meet at nine. So maybe we'll we'll avoid some of the. Heat. So if it was, um, you know, if it was two weeks from now, we'd be almost finishing. Well, I would have, I'd be supposed to be almost finishing. But anyway, uh, we're in Acts chapter one, we're beginning this new series. God's God's mission for His church is the title of this series. We're kind of dividing the book of Acts into to seven major sections, and we're beginning the the first section. Talking about how the witness, and we'll talk about the, the witness of the church, how the witness lays its foundation. So, this, this first section of the book of Acts, we're really talking about some foundational things that are true of the church. And the first thing we're seeing this morning is that the church has a mission. That's always true of the church, be it the church of the first century, be it the church of the Middle Ages, be it the church of the Reformation be at the church of the 1800s, be it the church of today. It's always true the church, the church has a mission. The church that meets in a community center has a mission. The church that meets in a nice building has a mission. The church that meets in a parking lot has a mission. The church always has a mission and the church's mission is always the same. That's what we're going to begin to talk about this morning. And so if you're able to if you would stand with me in honor of, and if you don't have a kid, if you have a kid in your lap, it's okay. You don't have to stand up. But if you if you have the ability, you go and stand up, and we'll read Acts chapter one, looking at verses one through eleven as we begin the go, the book of Acts. Begins verse one. In the first book O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And Father, we are excited to begin this series. We're excited to, to think about what it means for our church to, to be obedient to the mission you have for us. And so we, we, we pray that you would help us to be faithful. And, and Father, we recognize we cannot be faithful on our own, so we pray for the empowering work of your Holy Spirit. We pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. Well, this last week on, on Monday... Uh, The Supreme Court issued a decision that caught many people by surprise, caught many legal scholars by surprise. Uh, The Supreme Court ruled that a person who identifies as homosexual or transgender cannot be fired by an employer, that they are a protected class. And it caught many people off guard, they didn't think that the primarily conservative court would would rule that way. But but essentially the, the court said, no, the, these the people who are transgender identify as transgender or or homosexual are, are protected class and to, to fire them on the basis of this would be discrimination. They're protected by the 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 uh, previous laws that Congress has passed. And the 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 justices who disagreed with the decision, the dissenters, noted this. They said, look if if it's true that for example a a biological male can can say that he's female, and that to disagree with that assessment that that person has made, that, that's going to have huge ripple effects throughout society. It's going to affect Christians in the workplace and their religious conscience. It's going to affect Christian schools. It's going to affect, for example, women's sports. This is going to have tremendous ripple effects a- across the culture. And if you're like me, uh, maybe th- this past week it was just one more instance of feeling Little <laughs> a little disoriented, a little a sense of boy, uh, I I don't fit in to the culture, the way that maybe even I I thought I might fit into the culture. This is a this is a strange new reality in which we find ourselves in. In fact, it's almost like this. It's almost like the, our culture has said, okay. Here's, here's a biblical view of reality, we, we reject that, and now here's this, this new reality that we're creating for our, our world, and we've, we've left biblical reality, we've created this new reality, and, and not only are we living in this reality, but we're, we're demanding that, that other people, that you join us in this brave new world that we've created. And as I, I think about where we are as a church and about what my convictions are on something even as as basic as what it means to be male and female and and what our culture seems to be saying, it's it's disorienting. In fact, it, it feels like okay, there's this there's this big culture out there, and and this this culture has created a new reality for itself, and 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 I'm just I'm just this small <laughs> this small little bubble in the midst of a of a culture that's changing and. And what does that mean? I mean, we just look around. We're we're a we're a couple hundred people in the middle of a parking lot in central Illinois. Who who are we in the midst of a culture that has a, a a new reality that's, that's demanding, okay, this is, this is reality. And our church is saying, no, no, we, this is a biblical reality. But, but who are we? I mean, whenever we travel out of state and tell people where we're from, we have to, like, pull out a map to describe even where Peoria is. I mean, who are we sitting in the middle of a parking lot in central Illinois to, to, to interact with this culture, a, a Supreme Court, a, a, a state government that's, that's removed from us? I mean, we, who are we? that feeling of of being disoriented a little bit is is not a a bad feeling to feel, I think. And so I was talking about this with with a friend, kind of just the cultural things that are happening right now, even beyond the Supreme Court decision. My friend said, well, you know, as we think about all this, what are we to do? You know, what am I supposed to do in response to these things? And I think that's the right question. What are we to do? We are not the first group of believers to be out of step with our culture, are we? The first century church was out of step with its culture. The first century church was not in step with the Roman Empire. It it wasn't in step with the Jewish culture in which it came out of. It was very much out of step with its culture, and that, that feeling of disorientation could have caused, from a human perspective, the church to flounder, and yet the church flourished. In other words, if if you feel like Christianity is out of step today with the culture, you're right, but this is not new. If you think, well, how can the church continue to exist and thrive in a place that no longer understands or recognizes the worth of the church or a biblical worldview, I've got some good news. The church has been here before, and it's often in this position of weakness that the church most powerfully accomplishes what it is that God has intended for the church to accomplish. This is good news but for us to accomplish what god wants us to accomplish it, it means stepping back and asking the question well what is our mission what is it that god wants us to do there are many missions that we sometimes take on as a church maybe we think okay my my job is to influence a secular government my, my job is to be well-respected in the community. My mission is to have a dynamic leadership team in our church or to have this f- uh, phenomenal outreach within the midst of our community. All those things are, are potentially good things and appropriate things that can happen, but they're not the ultimate mission of the church. The church exists, and this is the main thing that I want us to consider this morning. And it's the main thing we've been considering for 12 years, and we're going to see it in this passage as well. The church exists to glorify God as we proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord And prepare his people to worship him forever. That is the mission of the church in the first century, the second century, the third century. It's the mission of the church today. It's the mission of a small group of people in the middle of a parking lot in central Illinois. And it's a mission that God can, uh, can empower us to accomplish that will bring fruit not just now but into eternity. This series, I think, is hitting at a perfect time in the life of our church. Our church is going through a time of, of transformation. Obviously, new building. That, it's, we're going to be a different church when we begin meeting in this building than we were six months ago. We're a new church, and so we have new people who are part of our church that weren't part of our church six months ago. That's going to bring kind of a, a new sense of life to the church. And, and we all have been separated from one another for a few months. You know, it's like whenever a kid goes off to college and they come back and they're they're a different person. They, they've changed during the time that they're gone. The same is true for us. We've all been living our lives individually. We haven't been in, in immersed in our each other's lives the same way we normally are. We're going to come back and we're going to be different people than we were when we last saw each other and spent time of fellowship together this series is hitting at a perfect time for our church as we say, okay, it's, it's good for us to remind ourselves what is our basic mission. What would God have the church be, and what would God have the church do? So what I want to do this morning is I want us to first of all look at the, the context for the mission that God has for us, and then I want us to talk about the actual mission itself. So let's let's first of all let's talk about the context for the mission. Look at verses one through five, and this is the context for the mission that, that God calls His church to. And let's just ask a couple of questions. Number one, as we think about beginning the book of Acts and the context for the mission that God has for us, who is writing this book? Who, who's the author? Uh, the, the text begins in verse one. In the first book of Theopolis, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach, and so. This book is volume two of another book, and this volume is written by the same person who wrote to Theophilus before, and who would that be? Well, we know that's Luke. So this is the second volume. The Gospel of Luke is volume one. It's also written to Theophilus and talks about Jesus' life and ministry, and now this is volume two, and Luke is continuing the story. It's Luke, the one that Paul describes as the beloved physician. Second question, okay, that's who wrote it. Who is the book written to? The book is written to this guy named Theophilus, and there's lots of speculation about who Theophilus was. We don't know for sure. Perhaps he was a a Gentile, a nobleman maybe, Maybe he's a person who commissioned the writing. Maybe he was struggling with how the Jews had rejected Jesus and how now the Roman government was persecuting the church, and Luke is writing to help help him understand, okay, here's what the church is, here's the ministry of Jesus, here's the things that you've been convinced of, and here's how you can know that they're true. But clearly, Luke is helping this person rightly understand the nature of the church and Jesus' mission and why it's encountered opposition. But Luke obviously has not just Theophilus in mind, as he writes, but the broader audience of believers as well. Look, Luke is saying to Theophilus and us, here's Jesus' mission, and here's how God's mission continues in the life of his church. The full title of the book that we see in English is The Acts of the Apostles, but really this is about the acts of God as he works in his people to accomplish his mission for them, to continue the mission of Jesus and establishing the kingdom. Another question we think about the context for the mission is this. Okay, as we begin the the book of Acts, volume 2 of Luke's story, where are we in the story? We're beginning the second volume, and the gospel of Luke ends with Jesus talking to his disciples and how it says that he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said it's written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name in all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. That's how the gospel of Luke ends. So the gospel of Luke ends with the disciples having a conviction of the truth regarding the resurrection and the lordship of Jesus with an understanding that the scriptures have said that this would happen regarding Jesus with an awareness of their future mission. That's how the gospel of Luke ends, and that's how the book of Acts begins. Here's the things I told you about before at Theophilus. Now let's keep talking. That brings us to the next thing I want us to talk about this morning. The mission of the church. That's the context for the mission. Now what is the actual mission? And I want to just talk in our time about four truths regarding the mission of the church. The first truth is this. The mission of the church is empowered by the Holy Spirit. Look at the the text here. As the text begins in verse 6, we first see something regarding what the mission of the church is not. It says they've gathered together and the disciples ask Jesus, they say, okay, is is this the time you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Is this the time that Israel is going to get the kingdom and there's going to be this physical political kingdom? And Jesus says, it's not for you to know. The times and the seasons of the Father is fixed by his own authority. The disciples don't understand the nature of their mission yet. And throughout the first half of the book of Acts especially, Jesus is going to correct their misunderstandings about the nature of the ministry and help them understand the ministry correctly. But he begins by saying, okay, it's not for you to know that the times or the seasons that the the Father is fixed by his own authority. But then he says in verse 8, but, so that's not the mission, but here's what you do need to know. You're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. The mission of the church is empowered by the Holy Spirit. We're going to continue to grasp the difficulty of the ministry that God has called his church to as we go through the book of Acts. But the first thing we see is that the Spirit is the one who provides the power for the ministry. And that word power is a very important word in the book of Acts. You are going to see The apostles in the church do incredible things. You're going to see them heal people. You're going to see them speak with boldness. And over and over again, Luke tells us that it's the empowerment of the Holy Spirit that allows these miraculous things to happen. It's the power of the Holy Spirit that enables them to speak boldly before the rulers. Why is the Spirit needed? It's not just the power to do miracles, it's the power to continue in the face of opposition. The Spirit provides the resources that you and I do not have within and of ourselves to do the mission that God has called us to do. The mission is difficult, and for those who are under the delusion that the Christian life is easy, they're going to have a hard time reading through the book of Acts. It's going to be a very confusing book. I just watched the first part of a documentary entitled American Gospel, Christ Alone. Haven't haven't finished it yet, but it it deals with the the sad state of the Christian church. And it talks about at the beginning of of this documentary how the the gospel has become in in the American culture just a a message about how you can have all the the worldly success you would desire to have. So if you want a nice family or you want a good job or you want a secure budget or you want physical health, you, you want the American dream, here's the American dream, Here's Christianity, and the American gospel is here's how Christianity can help you fulfill the American dream. The Christian life is not a life in which the American dream is achieved. Our mission is difficult. Our mission is going to be difficult sometimes because of the opposition of the world we're going to say some things as we call, re- every, the, the, the witness of the church is to call people to repentance, and, and we don't want to repent. We're going to, to call people to repent of, of pride, to commit uh, to repent of, of, of self-worth, and it's, it's going to be a message that runs into much opposition from the world out there. The, the, mi- the mission of the church, the witness of the church is also going to be difficult because of sin within the church. I'm going to say this a couple of times as we go through the book of Acts, but sometimes people say, "Man, I just I just wish the church I just wish the church could be simple like the church in the first century. I wish we could just be simple like the church in the book of Acts. Have it pure like them. You know you know what we see in the book of Acts about the church? The church in the book of Acts is full of hypocrites, liars, legalists, quarrelers, quitters false teachers, people with weak doctrine. That's not the church we want to emulate in all of its glory. The mission of the church is difficult because of opposition from without. It's also difficult because of opposition within the church, and it's also difficult, the mission of the church, because of our own weakness and frailty. Within our own hearts, we find sin and selfishness the flesh. The church and its mission is fragile. The church in and of itself, just based upon its human participants, is not a strong institution. A church can die in days. A church church can die in moments. It doesn't take much. And the continued mission and ministry of the church is not a sign of our own strength, but it is a a sign of the strength of the power of the Holy Spirit. The mission of the church is empowered by the Holy Spirit. That's the first thing that I want us to see. And we're going to continue to talk about that as we go through the book of Acts. The second truth that I want you to see is that the mission of the church is to witness. That's the second truth I want you to to see about the mission. The content of the mission is, is to witness. Paul says, uh, Luke says, as he relates Jesus' words, that Jesus says, "You're going to receive power and you're going to be my, my witnesses." That word means to give testimony. That word means to, to speak truth regarding. Remember at the end of the Gospel of Luke. Jesus opens the minds of the apostles to understand the scripture, so to understand the truth that the prophets and Moses have written about him. And he says, Okay, now you need to understand that it was written that the Christ should suffer on the third day, rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things you're to take the truths you know about me as jesus christ as the messiah as the one who offers forgiveness from sins according to what was prophesied by the scriptures you need to take that message of salvation in me to the nations your your witnesses your truth tellers about these things that's the mission that's the essential nature of the church Kevin DeYoung and Greg Gilbert wrote a book called What is the Mission of the Church? And, and they put the mission of the church this way. They use this statement. It "says They write, the mission of the church is to go into the world and make disciples by declaring the gospel of Jesus Christ and the power of the Spirit and gathering these disciples into churches that they might worship and obey Jesus Christ now and in an eternity for the, to the glory of God the Father. Does that sound familiar? That's just an elaboration of our our purpose statement. The church exists to proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord and prepare his people to worship him forever. We proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord. We witness to his lordship and the salvation that we can find only in Christ. And so what needs to be true of each of us? I need to have heard and understood the gospel. And we're going to talk about what the gospel is in the coming week, the message that Jesus Jesus Christ died for our sins and only by placing our faith in him can we receive eternal life. We need to have heard and understood that message. We need to have believed and responded to it. We'll talk about that more next week. We need to see the continuing work of God in our lives. All of the things that the church engages in can potentially become distractions Some things can be compliments to our mission. Some things can be distractions. So, for example, for example, is it important for the church to do good works? Well, absolutely. It's important for us as, as Christians as we go out and we live the world to do good things. But sometimes we, we get distracted here, and we, and we misunderstand what's a complement to the mission which versus what is a distraction to the mission. So, for example, I might say, okay, um, our, our church is going to, to found a human ta- humanitarian organization. This humanitarian organization is going to be focused on medical care and, and food care and, and these sorts of things, but, but divorce that from the gospel, and now it's become a distraction. It, it's not the primary mission of the church. Or... We might say, okay, we want to reach this community, we want to reach these people with the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we're going to go in there with our, our mission firmly in mind, and as we pursue that mission, we are going to do whatever God calls us to do, to care for the people the, within that community as we pursue that mission. So doing things like humanitarian aid and, and, and medical supplies, and food, those become a complement to our primary mission, our primary mission of being what? Witnesses. Witnesses. The church is to bear witness, to bear testimony. Our church is to, to love things like ad- adoption and caring for the fatherless, but that's not the focus of our church primarily. We are not going to solve the world's different crises. We are not going to become distracted by the latest political controversy. We are going to say, what is our mission? First and foremost, we want to proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord and prepare people to worship him forever, and that's, that's our message, that's our focus, that's our mission to be witnesses. And then as we do those things, we will lay down our very lives in the pursuit of that. The church bears witness. We bear testimony. Maybe you're a a high school student getting ready to, to make some decisions about the future. And you're asking the question, what does God want me to do with my life? Maybe you're a, a college student, you're getting ready to, to graduate, and you're saying, okay, what, what does God want me to do with my life? What's his direction for me? Or maybe you're a person in middle age, and you're saying, okay, what have I done with the first half of my life? And now as I think about the remaining decades that I have left in the workplace or whatever it is, what, what am I supposed to to do with this time? And sometimes we can, get, we can go down to all sorts of Different roads and wondering, okay, how do I pursue God's direction and will for my life? And what would He have me do? And the good news is this we know the ultimate thing that He wants us to pursue, and that is His glory. And we know the ultimate mission that He has for us, and that is to be His witnesses, to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, to testify to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. With the rest of our lives, that's our mission here's the third thing I want us to, to see. The mission of the church is limitless in scope. The mission of the church is, is limitless in its scope. Jesus says to his disciples here, he says, okay, you're going to receive power. So the mission of the church is, is empowered by the Holy Spirit. You're going to be my witnesses. That's the, 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 the witness of the church is its mission. And then he says, as he continues in verse 8, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem. So that's where they're, they're immediately going to be. And then in all Judea, Samaria, that's a little bit the, the region, a the remoter region in which they find themselves. And then it continues, this, this extent of the scope of the mission continues to the end of the earth. There's no limit to the, the focus of where he wants them to be proclaiming himself as Lord. In other words, the, the world is not going to come to the church we're going to talk about what's the, the purpose of the gathering of the Ecclesia, the gathering of the saints as we go through the book of Acts. But what we see very clear in the book of Acts is that this, this time on a Sunday morning is not the primary time in which we reach the world. That The church is to come together, together, together to worship, to prepare one another to worship the Lord forever. And then, and then we go out. We go out into the world to proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord. And the mission in which we do that is, is limitless. Isaiah 49, I think, is where... Jesus is drawing some of what he's saying here from in Isaiah 49, verse 5. And now the Lord says, He who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him, and that Israel might be gathered to him, for I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has become my strength. He says, It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. You and I have a task to, to witness in Jerusalem, to, to witness where we find ourselves immediately. And, and, and some of us, as we think about the context in which God places us, the, the small areas of our life, it's, it's very easy to witness. We have a a care group, and we go to the care group, and we're talking with people in our care group. What's God doing in your life? And we say, "Well, God's doing this," and it's it's not a very challenging thing to tell the people in your care group that you're wanting to seek the Lord's will in some area of your life. That's that's not very controversial. Not very hard. No one's gonna in your care group. You're not gonna say the name of of Jesus, and someone go, "Whoa, that's a little weird." (laughs) But then the, the the ministry continues. It broadens. The scope in which God calls you to witness to the Lordship of Jesus Christ expands beyond the immediate. Now it's into your workplace. Now it's into the hallways at school. Now it's on your your sports team that the ministry in which God calls you to proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord expands and it becomes more difficult. And then God calls you to the remotest parts of the earth. God calls you to have a global focus as you think about proclaiming the lordship of Jesus Christ. And you realize there is no corner of the earth in which God does not desire for his name to be known and glorified. We're just a bunch of people in a parking lot in central Illinois. But our passion is that people in the remotest parts of the earth would know and worship and glorify the same God that we do. That is our mission. And you and I, on our own, have no hope of being able to do that. But through the empowering work of the Spirit, we believe that God can accomplish His purposes for us. It's true today it's true in the first century. It's true on into eternity. God is going to accomplish his purpose. The glory of the Lord is going to cover the earth like the waters of the sea. That's our mission. Then finally, the mission of the church continues until Jesus Christ returns. Now, in one sense, this, this mission ceases when Christ returns, the mission to proclaim him and, and to witness to him. But really, it's just this phase of the ministry. Our presence in eternity will continue to testify to God's grace and kindness. And so the, the passage concludes, Jesus says these things and he's, he's taken up out of their sight. And they're gazing into heaven as, as Jesus goes. And two men stand by them and they say, look, why are you standing looking into heaven? Jesus, who is taken from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him going to heaven. By the way, verse 8 can really be serve as a, an outline for the book of, of Acts. I don't know if you remember when we went through the Gospel of Luke. We saw that the Gospel of Luke, it begins in chapter 2 with a command that goes out to the, out to the ends of the earth. An emperor gives a command for a census. And then, and then the, the narration takes us to Jerusalem. Mid- midway through the book, Jesus sets his eyes for Jerusalem. And the book ends in Jerusalem. Now the book of Acts. Verse 8 is, is an outline of the book, Jer- Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, the most parts of the earth. So Luke goes from the most parts of the earth to Jerusalem. Acts goes from Jerusalem to the most parts of the earth. And when does this, when does this ministry to the ends of the earth end? The, the, the first few verses here tell us just as Jesus goes into heaven, these angels say in the same way he's going to come back. In other words, this ministry... That you and I have continues until the Lord returns. And all throughout the the Gospel of Acts, the, the people who are engaging in ministry are engaging in ministry with an expectation to eternity. And, brothers and sisters, the same is true for you and me. We are those who minister with an expectation for eternity. We engage in the ministry that God calls us to, not with the hope of what happens tomorrow, just tomorrow in terms of, of earthly benefit, in terms of, of earthly reward. We are those with an eye toward eternity as we minister in the present, constantly aware that Christ is returning. The time frame of our ministry is until Christ returns And we don't want to be those who are foolish servants, unprepared for the arrival of our master. We're not those who are constrained by the latest Supreme Court decision or who's the president of the United States or a COVID virus. Our mission stands and we pursue it by the divine empowerment of God himself. Our church exists to glorify God as we proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord and prepare his people to worship him forever. That's our mission, and I'm excited about going through the book of Acts to unpack that mission with you in the coming months. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray this morning that we would have excitement as we think about our mission. We, we pray that through your divine enabling, we would pursue that mission. We pray for the, the obstacles to this mission, the, the, the ways in which we we hesitate in pursuing your purpose for us. We pray that the Spirit would empower us. We pray for the hearts of those that we're witnessing, too, of of the power of your Son. We, We pray that your Spirit would go before us and soften those hearts and allow us to be effective. We pray for our culture, that we would be a presence in which the Lordship of Jesus Christ is held high, and others would see the beauty and the value of Christ and trust in him. We pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen.